I want to dive into this message. And it's a vision for this year, Vision 2024. How many of you are ready for a new year? Yeah? Anybody like, I am so ready for a new year? Because maybe last year was really difficult. I know for me, last year in my personal life, in my family life, was actually awesome. And I feel like uh, every year has been getting better and better with our family pers- on a personal level. Last year, the last, really since COVID, <laughs> the last few years in the church, in leadership, in leadership has been very difficult. Very difficult. This, this last year was no exception. And so I saw this uh, video uh, online a couple weeks ago, at the, right at the end of the year. And I just, you ever see something and it's like they have put words to what my soul is feeling? And I saw this. And if you had asked me at the end of last year, how are you feeling about 2023? You know, how did it go? You know, what's your assessment? This video here is probably... It's how I felt, if you had asked me that. And, and see if any of you feel the same way. Check this out. Um, I'm super excited. It was really tough. It was fun. I enjoyed it. It was definitely a different ball game, but I had a blast, so thank you. <laughs> Man, I just had to share that. That's, just, that's how I felt. You know, that Christian optimism, like, you know, God did a lot. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Uh, you know, it's definitely a different ball game. But I had a blast, so thank you. That, that woman is a UFC fighter. She won the fight, in case you're wondering. Uh, and so, I don't know, maybe, maybe we got into some fights with the devil in 2023. We were wrestling with some principalities. Maybe that's, we came, came, that's what we came out looking like uh, at the end of the year. But praise God, I think we won, okay? So we can be joyful about that. It's definitely a different ball game. Uh, <laughs> but I had a blast, so thank you. She was so sweet about it. And then, you know, it was probably a few days later, I saw this other meme and I thought, and there's, there's kind of how my spirit feels heading into 2024, praying into 2024 and going into this fast. And it was this, this meme right here. (laughs) It's like, man, I asked to be a strong warrior for Christ and, and I got a taste of the front lines and I'm like, oh man, I need to, I need to seek the Lord. Like, where am I at for this year? Um, I'm just playing guys. And so you can chill out. Some of you are so zealous for God. You're like, wait a second, but I want to be on the strongest warriors list. I know Kathy's like, I want to be on the strongest warriors list for this year. Don't do that, Aaron. I tell you where I want to be this year. I want to be right where God wants me. And so if he wants me on his strongest warriors list for, for this coming year, then I will, I will do it. Um, but I really feel like if you're on the strongest warriors list, that means get ready to get some lessons in weakness because that's his, his powers made perfect in it. And, uh, and so that's kind of the posture of my spirit heading into this year. And, uh, I, I'm not upset about that. I think that's a good place to be. Um, and so as I was Praying into uh, kind of my week off, praying into where we going for 2024. I've been, the Lord's had a series on my heart that I've been wanting to do that I feel like he wants me to do for our church. And I, be, I was planning on starting that um, this week, this weekend. Um, and it's a series based on the, the five pillars of our identity as a church, like who we are as a church, who are free people. And uh, we've talked about that briefly in a few, like when we changed our name and we were kind of talking about the vision of where we're going and who we are. 
And we talked real briefly about it, but I felt like the Lord wanted us to take a week and spend a whole week on all five pillars of our identity. So our, the five pillars of our identity as a church, like who we are, is that we are people of the word of God. We are people of the spirit. We are people of one another. We are people of the kingdom of God, and we are people for the world. And so if you're wondering who free people are, that is who they are. That is what we, that is who we are. And as a church, we want to live out of our identity. Everything we do as people should flow from who we are. Because if that's not the case, we're going to fall into a performance trap and we're going to start trying to earn uh, salvation or earn God's favor or try to make things happen apart from Jesus or apart from the spirit. And that is, that is not where we want to be. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And all good things are from him, by him, for him, and through, through him and to him. And so we want to be who we are and let everything that we do for the Lord flow from that. And so I'm excited to dive into that. I was kind of, that was in the back of my mind. Like, I think we're going to be diving into this the first weekend of the year. And then, you know, I was kind of feeling like that lady in the UFC video on my week off, you know, maybe kind of reflecting on the year and kind of licking my own wounds from the year. But I'm like, I think we won, but man, I'm, I'm feeling a little battered, a little bruised. And I'm like, what are, where are we going, Lord? What are we doing? And I did a devotion and I was driving and I was listening to the Bible uh, on my car stereo. And I just so have, again, I'm trying to in, get that Bible in a year in. And so I'm in Revelation, I'm right at the end, you know. And Revelation 21 came on. And Revelation 21, there's only 22 chapters in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And it's kind of like, the, uh, it's a vision that, that Jesus gave John of a revelation of who he is, but also in times and also like where we're going, which is heaven. And so Revelation 21 just paints this beautiful picture and it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. I would encourage you to read it. We're not going to read it tonight, but I would encourage you to read it. It talks about the new heavens and the new earth. It talks about the heavenly Jerusalem. It says she's, she's like a bride beautifully dressed for her wedding day. It says God is now dwelling with us and we are with him. And it says he'll wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And as I was listening to this scripture on my car stereo, it's like the Holy Spirit breathed on it. And it's it, like a, the vision of heaven started coming alive in my heart. And I just felt like hope and faith and joy and peace just start to rise up in my heart. Just, just from a vision of heaven, of where we're going. And I started to think things like, oh yeah, that's right. Our present troubles are not worth comparing with the glory that we're going to experience with. Oh yeah, that's right. This world is not my home. Oh yeah, that's right. Everything that I'm going through is a result of how I've chosen to live my life and I've chosen to live my life for him and it will be worth it. Anything I have to endure will be worth it. Oh yeah, that's right. He's going to wipe every tear from my eye. That's right. I'm going to go to a place where there's no more crying, dying, sickness, or pain. That's right. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. There's a joy set before me 
No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And I was like, oh, and I just, I literally just felt that joy and that peace rising up. It's like a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit. Hope, my heart being lifted. I was like, oh, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, give them the vision. Give them a vision. And I knew immediately, he's like, first message of the year, you're not jumping in to that other stuff yet. I want you to take a week and give them a vision of why we do what we do. And as I prayed into that, I'm like, Lord, what am I giving them a vision of? (sighs) He wanted me to do the best that I could tonight to help give you a vision of who Jesus is and to see him rightly, as we just sang, to see him rightly as he really is. And so I want to look at a few scriptures tonight that paint a picture of that for us. Colossians 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Guys, this is our vision for 2024. We are setting our hearts, our minds, our affections on things above, on Christ, where he is for who he is right now, seated at the right hand of the Father. This is our vision for this year, beholding Christ, beholding him. That's our vision. To behold means to just just focus on something intently because you're in awe of it and you just can't look away. It's like the groom at the front on his wedding day and, and he knows he's the anticipation's building. He knows she got a special dress. Maybe he got to see the dress. Maybe he didn't. But he knows she's been beautifying herself, preparing herself. And then the moment comes and he sees her and he's like, Oh, wow. And he can't look away. And she comes forward and the service is so short and the reception is so brief, but he just can't take his eyes off of her. He's beholding her. You know, Jesus is beholding you. You are the bride. He beholds you, but he wants you to behold him. But here's why. We become like what we behold. You want to talk about spiritual formation. We will be formed after what we focus on. We will give our affections to what we give our attention to. And let me just tell you, in 2023, you guys know, in our world since 2020, a whole lot of revealing's been going on. It's like, it's like the devil pulled a hand grenade on Pandora's box and just threw it into the nations. And it's just like, boom, and stuff's flying out of there. And, and it's just getting, it's like, hasn't stopped getting crazier. Anybody notice that? It's not so, right? Like nations rising against nation and, and all the social issues are getting more intense. And there's just, there's, there's, there's aliens at Miami Mall. I don't know what's going on, guys. There's something new every week that's just like, what are you talking about? And let me just tell you what's coming for 2024. It's going to get worse. How do I know that? It's an election year. It's going to be berserk in America. 
when it comes to what's going on in the world. And one of the reasons so many of us, myself included, had such a hard 2023 is not because harder things were happening. It's, it's because when the harder things are happening, our focus was on the harder things. Our focus was the crazy stuff going on in the world. The, our focus was on what the enemy is doing. And let me just tell you something. Nations are going to be raging against nations until the end. The enemy is going to be doing more and more. And Revelation paints a picture of that. The world is going to get dark. I mean, Jesus is not just the enemy. Jesus is pouring out judgment on the earth to thwart evil, to stop the evil, wake people up. It says there's a great multitude that comes to faith through the tribulation. It is a good thing when God brings judgments on the earth. Because there's a whole lot of evil happening under our noses we don't know about. And we're all just kind of in delusion land being deceived, right? And we don't even see half of it. And God sees it and he's like, okay, time to start pouring out those bowls of wrath. Time to start bringing judgment against nations. Time to start stopping evil on the earth. Time to start waking people up. And a great, great number of people are going to come to faith at the end days, while a lot of the world is being deceived, a whole lot of people are going to be coming to faith. It's a both and. And here's the deal. Starting this year, in this church, in you, in me, our focus is no longer going to be on what the world is doing or what the devil is doing. Our focus is going to be on Jesus, on what God is doing. We were praying in the back before we came out to, to worship uh, tonight. And I was like, man, Lord, I, this is what I prayed. I was like, you know how like a lot of time I just confess our focus is on the world and what the devil's on and what's going on in the world. And then like when God does a miracle, it's like, it's kind of like a happy distraction. It's like, whoa, what was that? Oh, somebody just got healed. Wow, that's kind of interesting. Anyways, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, you know? And I was like, Lord, could you please do a holy reversal in us this year where we are so focused on you, we are so enamored by you, and we're like, oh, Jesus, we all love miracles of bursting out. Look at all that God's doing. And we're just so happy with everything you're doing. And when the devil does something or when something major happens or when we finally see who gets elected, we go, oh, what was that? Oh, that's kind of weird. Anyways, back to what God is doing. So our focus is on heavenly things, on things above, on beholding Jesus. That's our vision. I think this is our vision for our lifetime. But the Lord is calling us to greater devotion this year so we can be consumed, so we can be burning ones, so we can be ones who are just focused on him 24-7, 365. But he wants to do it in a greater way this year, starting now, starting tonight. Starting tonight, it's not like, oh, Easter Sunday in this church is going to be really awesome. You better get a mindset that Jesus Christ loves this church. He's marked it for his glory. He's building his dream house here. His presence is going to rest here. And so there's not going to be anything uh, such as a normal weekend at Free People. 
It's I'm going to come expectant because Jesus is there and I can't wait to focus on him. I can't wait to worship him. I can't wait for miracles to break out. I can't wait to be with the people of God. That's the focus. That's what, that's the mindset he wants us to have this year coming into this place. That's our vision. Beholding Jesus. Beholding Jesus. So setting our minds on things above. So what does that mean? What is that like? What is it like where Jesus is right now? Well, he's in heaven. His spirit is in us. He's in this place. We thank him for that. But Jesus himself is in heaven interceding for the saints. He always lives to intercede right now. What is Jesus doing right now? He is beholding you and me. He is focusing on you. He never takes his gaze off of you. Like a watchful parent, the Lord watches over your coming and going now and forevermore. Scripture says, seek his face, turn to him. Why? Because he's always seeking your face. He's looking at you. Jesus is looking at you 24-7 and he's interceding, making intercession with the Father to bring you and me into accordance with his will. And so we want to behold him. What, he's in heaven. What is that like? And this is why the scriptures are so important. And some of you, if I told you where we're going and what we're going to read right now, you might, you're like, oh yeah, Revelation 21. Yeah, I get it. But when you read it, when you read it, the word is living and active. And so I want to, it comes alive. He refreshes it. Spirit breathes on it. And I just pray as I read this tonight, the spirit would breathe on your heart as I read this. And you would just, oh, the same thing that happened to me a few weeks ago. That hope, that faith, that joy, that peace would just, ooh, just start to rise up in you again. So we're setting our minds on things above. We're beholding Jesus for who he is, where he is. And Revelation, there's actually several passages in Revelation that give us a picture of that. But I want to read most of, maybe all of Revelation chapter 4 right now. So if you want, you can look at me reading this. I might suggest you close your eyes and envision in your mind's eye what I am reading. Because why do we close our eyes when we pray? You know what it is? It's a, it's a focus thing. It's so that I'm not distracted. Any of you dads keep your, your eyes open while you pray at dinner time just so you can watch what your kids are doing? to make sure they're paying attention. Anybody else? Anybody? And that way, if one of them's starting to eat, you can give them the mm-hmm. And how many of you know, I can give a dad look while I'm praying to Jesus at the same time. Dads are talented like that. But we close our eyes to help us focus. And man, just the other day, we were in a prayer meeting, I think it was Friday, and the Holy Spirit was resting on it in a really special way. And my eyes were closed. And I'm just praying. And I'm praying in tongues. And I'm prophesying. And everybody else is. And we're just, whoo. And it kind of subsides. And I'm like, I open my eyes. And I'm like, oh, oh. We're like, we're in the church room. Like, oh. I kind of was like, whoo. Felt like I was in heaven there for a minute. And I open my eyes. You know, it's like, it's like those Oculus headsets. And you put them on. And you're just kind of like, whoa, I'm in this world. Where am I? It's VR. And you guys know what I'm talking about? You're like, we don't have one. Okay. But it's like that. And you take it off and you're just like, whoa, wait a second. I'm in my living room. I thought I was in heaven there for a second. And so maybe you should close your eyes. I don't know. You can do what you want. But I'm going to read Revelation chapter 4. 
And this is the Apostle John, and he says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here. This is God's invitation to you and me this year. Come up here. Come up above the fray. Come up above the warfare. Come up uh, above the confusion, the fog of war, and and the, the, the gunfire, and the arrows of the enemy flying, and the news headlines. Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once, he says, I was in the Spirit. Oh, God, I pray that we could live this whole year in the Spirit, Jesus. And therefore, there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. A full circle rainbow around the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was flying, was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, that's Jesus, by the way, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. That's where Jesus is right now. And that's what's happening right now, right now, around his throne. The worship of angels, the worship of elders, the leaders of the church. And I believe the other 12 were the great uh, men of faith of the Old Testament. That's what I believe. 12 men of faith from the Old Covenant, Old Testament, and the 12 elders, 12 apostles of Jesus. That's what I believe those 24 are. And they're just constantly war. You see, in other words, you see the greatest men of the earth on their faces, taking their crowns, representing their accomplishments, all that they did, and laying them at Jesus' feet. And you see these high, lofty, powerful, angelic beings. And John was tempted to worship them. And they said, don't do that. Worship him. Angelic beings that if they showed up, we would be like, whoa, we would be in, and they're like, no, 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 they're focused on him. That's what's going on in heaven right now. So when Colossians 3 says, set your minds on things above, it's saying that is where our God is. We want to we wanna live from heaven to earth. 
That's where we want to live. That's where, set your heart on that. Set your heart on Jesus. Set your mind on his perspective on your life. Puts everything in perspective. That will change your prayer life. That will change how you pray when you look with God's perspective. So set your minds on these things this year on things above where Christ is. Guys, our, how many of you know our world needs change? It's in desperate need of change. It's in desperate need of not just change, but transformation. Like a little, a little social change is not gonna cut it. it. We need total transformation at this point. How many of you know that? How many of you are aware of that? And let me just tell you what's not gonna do it. Whoever's elected this year. It's just not going to cut it. It's just not going to do it. It never has. Every politician ever, if you like me, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to fix all the problems. And they never do. Some of them bring a little reform, and that's about it. Our hope cannot be in them. I don't care who's elected. I don't care if it's the one God wanted or we were so sinful that it's some other person that's the worst president. I don't care. Because the kingdom of God does not advance through political parties. It advances through the church. It advances through you and me. So the kingdom can advance no matter who's elected. Doesn't matter. We are in desperate need of transformation. God knows that. That's why he sent Jesus. To change the world, to transform the world, to save the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But think about this. When God wanted to transform the world, did he send a plan, a strategy, a program we could implement? No, he sent his son to show us, give us a vision of who God is and what heaven is like. What heaven is like. Why why did Jesus preach about the kingdom of heaven? Because our job, his mission was to get us to bring heaven to earth. And that's why we have to ascend and live with Christ in heavenly places. So we get used to the culture of heaven. Like on the Mount of Transfiguration, whoa, there's Moses and Elijah. The father is speaking. Wow, that's like as close as they were going to get to heaven on earth. And then what happened? When it was over, they had to descend and bring the culture of heaven down to a very sinful, perverse, unbelieving world. But if we are called to bring heaven to earth, which we are, Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we don't know what heaven is like, we cannot bring the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. So God sent us Jesus to reveal himself To show us what heaven is like. Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, the one who comes from above is above all. And he's talking about himself. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard. And they're in this this debate. And Jesus is like, well, anybody to be in the kingdom of heaven, you got to be born again. And and Nicodemus is like, how do you get back in your mother's womb to come back out? I don't understand. And like truly thinking about it from an earthly perspective. And Jesus goes, you are Israel's teacher and you don't understand these things? That's Jesus going, we are in trouble. This is bad. And he's saying, I'm not from here. I'm from there. 
I have seen the Father. I know what the Father is like. I know what heaven's like. So I can testify to it. I can teach you on it. That's why all of his stories, what did he say? The kingdom of heaven is like. Let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what it's like in my father's kingdom where I come from, from my country. And he was God's apostle, God's ambassador to bring heaven to earth. So what is heaven like? We see in Revelation chapter 4 that I just read, there's a whole lot of glory going on. There's a whole lot of amazing things. But at the center is a throne, and at the center is Jesus. And that is because the culture of heaven is defined by the nature of God. In other words, who God is, what he's like, is what results in what heaven is like. And think about this, and this is a little scary for some of us, for better or for worse. It's like your own home. The culture of your home, for better or worse, is a reflection of who you are. (laughs) And so have you ever caught yourself as an adult, adulting, complaining about the culture of your home and the lifestyle of the people in your home? And how much laundry there is and how, how often it gets out of whack and how we're ships passing in the night and, and, and like people are just frustrated all the time. And, and you're just, you realize all these problems in the culture of your own home and then you wake up and go, oh, wait a second. This is my household. If there are problems here, they're my problems. If this is not flowing well, it's a result of myself not doing my job as a leader Anybody have those? Maybe it's just sounds like you guys are your culture. Your homes are amazing. Uh, only I realize how out of whack our home culture can be at times. No, okay, thank you for some honest people in here. Because we live the actions we take, we live by what we believe. So we live out of who we are, for better or worse. The culture of your own home is a reflection of who you are, for better or for worse, or for what you believe, for better or for worse. The culture of heaven is centered around the nature of who God is. And so in heaven, there's no division or war or hate because God is love. There's no more crying because God is the comforter. There's no more sickness because God is the healer. There's no more pain because God is the redeemer. There's no more loss because God is the restorer. There's no more sin because God is good. There's no more death because God is life. There's no sun there because we don't need it anymore because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. It's interesting. There's no spiritual gifts to manifest God's presence and help people believe because we will be in his manifest presence. There's no preaching in heaven. This is unnecessary because we will all know fully, even as we're fully known, preaching would be a redundant annoyance. You know, this is why I know. I just know. You don't need to tell me. There's no preaching. And so in Revelation, you know what we see? We just see worship. 
the proper response to the awe and wonder and the glory of God. When God wanted to change the world, he didn't send a plan, strategy, or program. He sent his son to show us who God is and what heaven is like. If you go back 700 years from Jesus, the generation of Isaiah, pretty bad. One of the worst generations in Israel's history. They're right at the end. I would liken it to where America's at right now. That there's been degradation of morality, which is letting, leading to societal and economic collapse. By the way, that's a provable pattern in even secular history. Moral degradation leads to societal collapse and economic ruin. That's just a proven fact in history. And so in around the 700s BC generation of Isaiah, that is the situation of Israel. It's really, really bad and they need transformation. And so what does God do? He raises up prophets, but what does he do with Isaiah? He doesn't give Isaiah a plan, a strategy or a program to implement. You know what he gives Isaiah? He gives Isaiah a vision of God high and lifted up. If we want to see revival in the culture, we have to see revival in the church. If we want to see revival in the church, we have to see revival in us. If we want to see revival in us, it's not going to be in us trying harder and doing better. It is this is the only way we're going to see revival. If the church of Jesus Christ catches a glimpse of a vision of who he really is. And it ignites our hearts in such a way that we're willing, we're willing, we willingly deny ourselves and th throw everything else we were living for away to live for the one thing. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook the temple. And, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. When, with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of, voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. God loved Isaiah's generation. God wanted to save them. God wanted to transform the nation. So what did he do? He picked a man and he gave him a vision of God that so marked that man, that so ruined that man for anything else, that it set him apart. This was the consecration. 
for the task that God had called him to, which was to bring the message of truth, repentance, and hope to his generation. But he had to be a man that lived it. He had to be a man that had been transformed himself. God gives Isaiah a vision of the Father in the kingdom of heaven. And this actually ruins him. He's, his response to seeing God high and lifted up is, woe to me, I'm undone. Now that's a really pretty way to say it. That word in the original Hebrew, undone, do you know what it means? It means to cease, to die. Isaiah sees God in his glory and he goes, oh no, I'm dead. Natural response. I'm done for. Why? He becomes immediately aware of his own sinfulness. Now think about this. God was not trying to show Isaiah his sinfulness. He was trying to show him himself. But as R.C. Sproul once famously said, the presence of the holy is traumatic for those who are unholy. Think of it this way. This is a really weird illustration that the Lord gave me to help us tonight. I want you to imagine that we leased out our church, this room, um, on, on Saturday nights. We, let's say one Saturday night we weren't going to have church. And we leased it out to like a New York fashion model agency. And we would never do this, by the way. But anyways, let's just say that we did. And so, but let's say we didn't announce it. Lord, help me. This was your idea. Okay. And so he's like, no, this was your idea. <laughs> but I'm going to use it, he says. So, <laughs> so let's say that we didn't announce it. So you all show up, the Saturday night crowd. You show up to Saturday night. You're expecting church. You walk in the door. And all of a sudden, the, you notice, man, like, where's, where's Ruth and where's John? And, like, the greeters at the door, they're, like, they're like taller. Like, this is, this is interesting, you know? And you come in the room, and there's hundreds of people. Because you don't realize it. It's not our church. They're doing a fashion show. But you're looking around, and you're going, why is everyone in here taller than me? Everyone in here is better looking than me? Why is everyone in here like, like I thought I was wearing my nice jeans to church, but all of a sudden I feel very underdressed. Why is that? And all of a sudden you thought you kind of fit in. You thought you had kind of nice clothes. You thought you were kind of like an average Christian, but all of a sudden you're like, you're acutely aware that I am not dressed good enough. I am not tall enough. I'm not skinny enough. And I am not good looking enough. Why is that? That you would all of a sudden feel like, I don't fit here. One of these things is not like the other. And so God gives Isaiah, now forget about New York fashion models. The standard of beauty in our world. Think about the standard of beauty in the universe. God. And he catches Isaiah up to a vision, not of some modeling show, of God's throne room in heaven. 
And the first thing Isaiah thinks is, whoa, I do not fit in here. Now, God's point was not to show him his sin, but to show him himself. And so there's no big like, you don't need to like ruin yourself. You don't need to beat yourself and shame yourself. God goes, no, 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 no. Oh, you're here. Hey, angel, get that, get that thing to him real quick or he's going to feel real bad about himself. And so an angel flies, takes a burning coal from the altar of God and touches his lips. Why? Because whatever his sin issue was, it was a mouth issue. Now, I find it interesting. This is chapter six. He had already been a prophet of God for five chapters. He had already been giving messages to nations. And I have to wonder, as I mentioned last week, if maybe you've been following God for a number of years, you've already been being used by God, but I wonder if there's some issues in your life that God wants to deal with, not to shame you, but to call you up to the destiny that you were meant to live for, and those things just can't go with you. And so he wants to call you up to heavenly places, and you're gonna become aware real quick in his presence of of all the ways you fall short. And he's like, that's not why I brought you here. Uh, Just take that robe off, lay it over there. We've got a new one. Angel, quickly, please, quickly. He's feeling bad about himself. (laughs) And they touch the coal to your mouth. Live burning coal on his lips. Did you know your lips and your fingertips have the most touch sensors in your body? Your lips are one of the most sensitive places on your body. A live coal on your lips, touching it on there, holding it on there. Guess what just happened? His lips got branded. He is never going to forget this burning moment in God's presence. And when he says, here am I, send me, and God says, who's gonna go for us? Here am I, okay, cool, send him. Yeah, that's good. Because he's gonna speak for me messages, and every time the rest of his life he goes to open his mouth, he'll go, oh, he will remember the marking moment, and he'll think, only what's of God come out. Only, no longer a man of unclean lips. I have to live to honor him with utmost integrity. Only what's of him. Only his message. And God's like, yes. That's what I need. So God made a way to atone for, to make up for how he didn't fit in. God burned away his sin. The burning fire of God purifies us and sets us apart. A live coal from the altar. Scripture says in Hebrews 12 that our God is a consuming fire. John said of Jesus, one who will come after me, I'm not worthy to to untie his shoes. I baptize you in water. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. You, believers, I've heard preachers preach, well, the fire is God's judgment on unbelievers. No, he'll baptize you, all of you, in the Holy Spirit and fire. The fire is God's judgment. That's one interpretation. It's his judgment on you. 
It's a fire. When you come into the presence of God, he is a consuming fire. When you come into the presence of a consuming fire, you get consumed. And what happens in that fire? Anything that's of material that's not precious burns up. So in the presence of God, your impurities get burned up. It's like the coal touching your lips. But there is something in you, a pure faith Jesus has put in you that is good. It's like gold. And when you get gold in fire, it does not burn up. It gets more and more pure, which means it gets more and more precious. So in the presence of God, your idolatries, your adulteries, your adulterous desires get burnt up. When you see him for who he is and you go, oh, I don't want that anymore. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. Oh, I have not been honoring you the way that I should have. It gets burnt up. But the good part of you, the faith in you, the calling in you, the destiny in you, the spiritual gift, they get lit up. They get ignited. And you begin to burn for Jesus when he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit and fire to mark you, to set you apart. That's what he wants to do tonight. He wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. To burn up your impurities, your adulteries, your idols, your idolatries, and to set you on fire for him. To ignite your passion for him. So you can be one who burns for him. There's another vision of Jesus that I want to read before we close tonight. And it's from John chapter 1, or I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 1. It's the Apostle John. Because Revelation paints this picture of the throne room, and we see all this going on, but you get this feeling it's from a distance. Isaiah chapter 6, I see the Lord, and he says what? High and lifted up. Like, I'm down here, and I'm looking up, and he's way, way, way up there. And the train of his robe is filling the temple, but I'm, I'm really far away. But I can see, and he's just so glorious, and it's amazing. And in John chapter 1, John has a vision of Jesus, but it's not far and away. It's up close and personal. And I want to read this to you, and I just pray as you do, you would see Jesus rightly tonight for who he is. John says, on the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And verse 12 says, I turned around to, oh, this hit me fresh this week. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. Some of you Jesus has been calling you. He's been calling you. He's been calling you. You've been drawing near. You've been drawing near. You've been starting to try to do what he wants to do, to live your life how he wants. He's wanting you tonight to turn around and see the one who has been calling your name. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe 
reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white as wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. And he said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Jesus wants to call you up to heavenly places tonight. He wants you to set your heart there forever, especially for this year. We're not getting down into the fray where the world is, where the devil is. We're with him. But as C.S. Lewis says in his Narnia series, he calls you further up and further in. It's not enough to see the throne room from a distance and the angels encircling and the elders bowing down. He calls you up further. He's calling you tonight further up and further in to the very throne room itself to where if you will look, you will not only see the angels around him. You will not only see his countenance or what he's like. You will see him up close and personal, intimately. John says there was fire in his eyes. Guys, I had a dream in the year was 2003. And at the end of the dream, there was a man in the center of a circle in the woods, a clearing. And my wife and I, she wasn't my wife yet, but she was with me in the dream. And we ran up. There were wolves chasing us. And we come around to this clearing. And all the, we were running from the wolves. We thought the dream was about the wolves. I'm running, I'm running. We're running around. And we come to this clearing. And when we saw this man dressed in white, we were shocked. And we went, oh, and we just stopped. And all the wolves just blew past us like they didn't even care. And we, we, we didn't even care what was happening because we were so shocked at the sight of this man. And he's just standing in the center of this clearing. And he had, he had white robes on. And his hair was, was totally bright white. And the wolves got up to him and, and he was far away. And when the wolves got up to them, I saw this must have been a very big man because they were only about up to here on him. And they got up to him and he was unfazed and he was, they were jumping up and they were nipping at him, trying to bite him, but they couldn't jump any higher than his waist. He was unfazed and he said, no, I need a lion. And it's as he said, lion, he slammed his staff down and a shockwave went out and all the wolves fell out as though dead. And then my wife and I felt a presence of a bunch of people and or a bunch of lions by us. And we all began to move. We weren't walking. We were being pulled to the man in the middle. And I woke up. I can still see it as if it happened yesterday. That vision is burned in my eyes. 
And I did not realize who that man was until it was months later. I'm reading Revelation. And I get to the part where it's like his hair was white like wool. And he's wearing white robes. And I went, oh my goodness, that was not a, an angel in my vision. That was Jesus. Glorified Jesus. Calling me. And here's what I'm saying. I couldn't see what was in his eyes. I was far away. He was calling me. And yet, I'm still marked by that vision. He's calling you tonight. He's inviting you to greater intimacy. Face to face. He wants you to turn like John and see him for who he really is. He wants you so close. close you can see the fire in his eyes. He's, he's the one who's walking among his lampstands. Jesus is walking among his churches. Where is Jesus in the earth? He is with his bride. He calls us to tend to his lamp. But let me tell you, he's the one who tends to your lamp. He's the one who trims your wick. He's the one who gives you fresh oil. Jesus tends to you. He's holding the seven stars in his hand. The seven stars are the seven leaders of the seven churches. He's holding you in his hands. He says, I, I have mine that I've called. They're mine. They're in my hands. No one can snatch them out of my hand. You are in God's hand. The devil can't snatch you out. The devil can't steal your faith. The devil can't steal your salvation Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But he wants you to look up further still. He wants you to look in his eyes. And if you do, you will see there's a fire there. Why is there a fire in Jesus' eyes? What is the fire in his eyes? Well, as I've already said, the scriptures say that our God is a consuming fire. What is the consuming fire of God? It's a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 4, which says, Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. The all-consuming of fire is a picture of God's jealous passion that burns for you. Song of Songs 8 verse 6 says it this way, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Scripture says his name is jealous. He's jealous for you. I once heard a testimony of Oprah Winfrey that said she was a Christian and she went to church faithfully until she heard a pastor say God is jealous. And then she thought, that's not good because jealousy is not a good thing. So I'm not going to worship that God. And she walked after a God in her own making that was more palatable to her. And I mourned for her. I grieved for her because she, in her pride, she misunderstood something that the scripture was saying. And if we will 
come to things in scripture that we don't understand and humble ourselves and ask God for interpretation, he will reveal to us the meaning. So what does it mean that God is a jealous God? I can assure you it is anything but evil. It is anything but not good for us. What is the definition of jealousy? There's three definitions. The first definition which is probably what Oprah was thinking of at the time, is envious of another's position, abilities, or possessions. Let me ask you something. Do you think God is envious of your position, possessions, or abilities? That's laughable. So we can rule that out. That is not what scripture means when it says God is a jealous God. Second definition is that it demands exclusive devotion and it's kindled when it's suspicious of infidelity. Suspiciousness of infidelity by a character trait that demands exclusive devotion. And the last definition of jealous is fiercely protective over one's possession. I can assure you, when God looks at you, he's not envious of your position, possessions, or abilities. But I can also assure you, when God looks at you, if he's suspicious that there's infidelity, His jealousy gets aroused. Why? Because he's fiercely protective over his possession, which is you. You are his treasured possession. And he's fiercely possessive over you. And by the way, that's profoundly good for you because he knows your heart is deceptive. And if you give it to other things, and if you seek life, capital L, from things in this lowercase l, life, they will lead you astray and you will seek evil things to quench your heart's desire for him. And then in eternity, he he will give you justice, which is what your heart wanted. And what your heart wanted was not him. So you will not have him for eternity. And that grieves him and that pains him. So he's jealous over you. He's fiercely possessive over your relationship with him. Ladies, if, if you were cheating on your husband and he didn't care Let me tell you, something is desperately wrong with your husband. Because if he loves you, he's going to be jealous, possessive over your love for him. It's exclusive. The fire in Jesus' eyes is a jealous, passionate love for you. His gaze is fixed on you. He's always watching you. And he tells you to seek his face because he's hoping that your eyes will meet his. Because if your eyes meet his, you will see his passionate love for you. And it will inspire you. It will mark you. It will change you. It will transform you. You'll find obedience easy. You'll find sacrifice easy. You'll find fasting easy. Because you want him. You'll find service in the kingdom easy. 
Anything you give up, you'll, you'll think, I haven't given up anything. He's worth everything. I haven't lost anything. I've gained everything. Famous quote by John Wesley that I really love, really love. I've, I've used this many times to encourage myself or others. But the famous John Wesley once said, light yourself on fire with passion. And people will come from miles to watch you burn. And I love that quote. But it occurred to me this week <clears throat> that it's not possible. <laughs> that we cannot light ourselves on fire with passion. We can't do it. We are not the flame. He is. We're the candle. <laughs> We're the wick. A wick doesn't light itself on fire. And let me encourage you tonight. If, if you've been feeling burnt out, if you've felt like your passion's wavering, that's, that part's not up to you. That takes all the pressure off. That's actually a very good thing. But how does a candle get set on fire? You use a lighter or a match. You get a flame. And then you simply get that candle or that wick in proximity to the flame. If you get that wick close enough, it is going to catch on fire. So passion for Jesus, devotedness to Jesus is not a matter of your self-will, praise God. It's a matter of your proximity. And I've got good news for you tonight. Your, you, so, so, so often we're like, everything's out of beyond my control. I can't control any of this. It's all God. God is sovereign. It's all him. Apart from him, we can do that. I'm, I'm lacking in my zeal. I'm lacking in my passion. I, I know what I should do. I don't have the willpower to do it. And yet I can't muster that up. And we feel defeated. And here's my encouragement to you tonight. There is something within your control. You get to control how close you are. You get to control proximity. You don't get to control lighting on fire. You don't light yourself on fire. You control proximity. And here's my promise to you. Because many promises in the word of God back me up. If you will draw near to God, you don't even have to go the whole way. If you'll draw near to him, what's the promise from James 4? He will draw near to you. And when you, who are combustible material, draw near to an all-consuming fire, guess what happens? If you will stay there long enough, that's the choice. You still have a choice. Any of you men done, done the lighter trick to impress your family and friends where you light it and you go, woo, 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 or the birthday candles, woo, look, look, look. Oh, I'm not being burned. Why is your hand not burned? You're not leaving it there long enough. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. But when you feel the heat, don't run away. Don't leave. 
sit in his presence. Stay near to his heart. And I'm promising you, if you will stay near long enough, you are going to ignite. You are going to spontaneously combust for Jesus. And all those things that you've been trying to make right on your own strength and on your own power, guess what? They're just going to burn up and you won't have to do anything because you will be set ablaze and his consuming love will consume what's been consuming you. So get near, get on your face, get in his presence. And here's the deal. Stay there and wait. And if his presence starts to alarm you, and if things start being brought up in you, just don't run. Stay. Keep coming to church. Keep staying in the word. Keep praying. Keep worshiping. Why? Start confessing. Why? Woe to me. I'm an okay. I have unclean lips. I don't kill me. <laughs> Why? He will absolve you from it all. He'll burn it off of you. He'll get you a new robe so you're comfortable in his presence. And then you want to stay there. And then you enjoy it. And then you live in his throne room. You get to choose how you draw near, when you draw near, how long you're drawing near for. And it's through the spiritual disciplines. It's no mystery. And that's beautiful. It's easy. It's simple. Every time you open the pages of this book and you start reading, you may not understand what you're reading yet, but guess what you're doing? You are drawing near to the word of life. Every time you start praying, you might feel like you're a babbling inf infant. I don't even goo goo gaga. What am I saying right now? Is, is he even real? Is he even listening to me? But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, because guess what you're doing? You're drawing near. Every time you come to church, which is the body of Christ, and he is present where two or three are gathered. It doesn't matter if you have social anxiety. It doesn't matter if you feel comfortable or not. Guess what? You're drawing near. When you fast, you're drawing near. When you worship, you're drawing near. And if you will do those things right there, and if you'll do them often enough, and if you'll do them long enough, I'm just telling you at some point, you're going to ignite. You're going to ignite. Some of you have been seeking him for spiritual gifts. You maybe asked once, you got prayed for, it didn't happen, and you got frustrated, and you're like, I don't know about that stuff. Do you know how many people in our church have received the gift of tongues over the last year? It's been a whole lot. It's been dozens. And my favorite stories, the vast majority of them, by the way, we pray over them, and then guess what? Guess when it comes? When they're on their own, praying on their own, worshiping on their own, at their house, in their car, and they're just focusing on him, and all of a sudden, blah, 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 it comes. When they're focused on him, 
and they stay in his presence long enough. Woo! Tongues of fire. <laughs> Combustion. <laughs> Spiritual gifts are really powerful. And the Apostle Paul told Timothy, fan into flame the gift you were given. And one of the special things about church and being in the presence of other believers is, is a lot of believers in this room, they're already on fire. Their lamp's already lit. They're a hot coal. And, and when you're out there in the world, it can feel kind of cold and your lamp grows dim and you're burning down. But when we come in the room together and we start using our spiritual gifts and we start worshiping, guess what? This place becomes a furnace. And people come in here who are so far from God. They're so turned off to, to God. They're so so turned off to, to what he's doing in their life. They're cold. They're, they're nowhere near being on fire. But you get in a furnace <laughs> and they get lit up for Jesus. And they come to faith. Their hearts are strangely warmed, as Wesley says. And they're born again. And they get filled with the Spirit. Why? Because they came into a place where other people were burning for Jesus. And they weren't ashamed of it. When we use spiritual gifts, we manifest the presence of God. That's what scripture says anyways. When you use a spiritual gift, you are releasing the presence of God in a very real supernatural way. To each one, the manifestation of the spirit has been given. To manifest God to each other. To help us burn for him. To help light other people on fire. And so Paul says to Timothy, fan your own flame. Use your own gift to keep your fire burning. But man, sometimes you come into a place and another believer who's been fanning the flame all week, who is like a raging wildfire who just can't wait till when he gets to open his mouth so he can breathe fire on somebody. This is me, by the way. You get lit up, man. And that's happened to me. I've come into rooms like this when I've been burning low and somebody's been praying all week and they've been called by God. So the consuming fire has filled with them with fire and they preach the fire and they invite and they pray and I get lit up. And then I pass it on. It's really special what God does in the presence of his people. And that's what he wants to do tonight. <sighs> I felt the Lord wanted us to close tonight with a special time of prayer, a special time of impartation prayer where we just pray over each other and, and fan each other's flames and just see what God, see who God ignites tonight. And so I want to do that. I want to invite our ministry team to come up and just go ahead and you can line up on the sides here. Um, some of our staff's going to be coming up and we're just going to pray over anybody who wants prayer. <clears throat> and I felt like the Lord was showing me to do a few things tonight as part of this prayer time. One of them, and I'm going to have to pray about the order and see how we do this. One of the things I felt the Lord was wanting me to do is to anoint uh, you all with oil. Whoever wants to burn for God, <laughs> whoever wants to be set apart for his glory for this year, 
And so I have the oil up here, and that's just, I put a little oil on my finger, and I put it on your forehead, and that's it. That's all that is. I'm not going to dump the whole bottle over you unless God tells me to, and that's possible. So anyways, <laughs> if that happens, though, that'll be a profoundly good thing, okay? Can you just trust me on that? Trust him on that? But I don't think it's going to happen. Anyways, I was trying to comfort people, and then I just uncomforted them. Um, <laughs> because... If you really want to receive from God, you have to give up your right of control and what you want it to look like, sound like, and feel like. So I was trying to comfort you, and then the Lord's like, what if I want to do that? I'm like, dang it, man. You can't. Okay, never mind. When I received a really powerful baptism of the Holy Spirit last March, no, the March before that. Part of the story I don't tell a lot is that morning there was a session about surrender, and I went up, and I surrendered everything to Jesus. And I, was, I thought I was giving him my pain and some hard things I've been through, and when I went to surrender to him up front, in front of everyone, you know, at the end when they do the altar call, the Lord showed me, no, you're, you're giving me everything. He's like, I want your life. I want your leadership. I want you to hand the reins over to me. I want you to make me the lead pastor of your church. What I say goes, not what you say, what I say, what I want. I want you to give it all. I want you to surrender to my process. And what that meant for me was I, whatever God's about to do, I have to be okay with it. I have, to be with the result, I have to be okay with the results of it. I have to be okay with where his anointing leads me. I have to be okay with that. And I surrendered everything. And the Lord had been telling me, here's what's coming if you, if you receive this. People are going to hate you because the, they will listen to the devil rather than the spirit of God. And they will hate what I'm doing in and through you. You're going to be rejected. It's going to be hard. There's going to be persecution. Do you still want it? And I'm sitting there going, this is God inviting me. These are gifts of God. The anointing is a special thing from God. Why would I not want his gifts? Because there's a price. And if you care a whole lot what people think, you, you won't receive all of it. Or if you do, you won't use it, which is, I think, a greater sin to receive it and not use it than to not have received it at all. And so this is not a light invitation. If you want to receive tonight from the Lord, to be filled in a greater way. If you come up here, you're taking a step of faith and you're saying, I'm surrendering to God's will for my life. And like, if tonight God tells me to quit my job or to, to do whatever, I will do it for him. I'm, I'm all in. I will do whatever he wants. If God wants to give me a powerful gift that a lot of people will say is not of God and I'll look foolish to them and on and on, but it's a gift from him and he's gonna use it. I'm surrendered to that. I'm up for whatever. I'm up for whatever he wants to give me. And here's what I've been praying he gives you tonight. Tonight is a vision of him. And then I've been praying for literal dreams and visions. That dream I told you about, it marked me. I woke up and I told a story a few weeks ago about a vow I made to God. And I didn't know, he, I was so stupid. I didn't know about the things of God. I didn't know about Holy Spirit. I didn't know interpretation. 
I didn't know he's, he's like calling me to ministry. He's calling me to his purposes. I didn't know that. I just was like, oh, I got to do something. I vowed to never drink alcohol ever again. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. That was the night. I'd been trying to give up smoking. I've been trying to stop drinking. I've been trying to do these things in my own, on my own terms, and it wasn't working. But I had a vision of him, and I was like, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do anything. I won't even touch that stuff ever again. I just want that, whatever that dream was about, because I had a vision of him. And I believe he wants to inspire you to fear him, Scripture says. Inspire you to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord is the hatred of evil. He wants to inspire you to hate evil because you love him. And so I'm just praying as we anoint you tonight, as we pray over you, that the Holy Spirit moves in you. And maybe it's tonight. Maybe he wrecks you tonight. Maybe he fills you with fire and glory tonight for his purpose. Or maybe you just get marked tonight and you're a marked man or woman, and a, a countdown timer starts. <laughs> and God has a Holy Spirit napalm bomb in heaven. He's going to drop on you, and you just got marked for it. And I don't know when it's coming. It could come tonight. It could come tomorrow. It could come a week from now or six months from now. I don't know. But when and how he moves is, is not me. My obedience is let's pray Let's prophesy, let's anoint, let's lay hands, and then he's, he will do what he wants to do. And I know the more surrendered we are, the more he will do. And I know the, the less expectation of what we hope might happen, the more he will do. And the more we forget about what time it is and what time I want to get home, the more he will do. I do know those things. Don't shut down what he wants to do right now. <laughs> he showed me this prayer time on Tuesday, and I've been praying, and I've been preparing myself all week, and I'm just, I wanted to rush through worship just so we could get right here. Because he just wants to move in a special way. He wants to light you on fire. That's what he wants. If you'll draw near. If you'll draw near. And so, I feel like the Lord wants me to pray first and the Holy Spirit's going to begin moving. And what he was showing me this week Yeah. I'm just going to pray and the Holy Spirit's going to start moving and we're going to ask him to move. And then I'm going to call you all up whoever wants to be prayed for. And if you're not sure or you just you feel like you just, you want to seek him in your seat or whatever. You can do that. If you're like, I'm done and I just want to leave, you're welcome to leave. I, I don't think you should. I think this is really special time. And if that is you, I just, just honor what God's doing and, and leave quietly if you would. But I invite you to stay. <sighs> and when we enter into these prayer times, we need to realize it, it could get loud. It could get messy. You, you're you're going to probably hear people praying in tongues and those types of things. These are the moments that they're for. This is the time we set aside for these types of things. 
as people are being imparted to and filled with God's Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to pray. And then as you feel led after I'm done praying, if you want to receive from the Lord tonight, if you want to be marked by him, for him, knowing that it's going to cost you everything, knowing that really it's an invitation to be consumed by God. And if that scares you a little bit and you're not ready, that's okay. Keep counting the cost. Keep praying. Keep seeking him. Keep getting your questions answered. Um, but if you are like, I do want to be consumed. I want him to give me a vision of himself and set me apart for his glory and fill me with his spirit tonight. Um, then when you come up, I'm just going to do one drop of oil on your forehead, anoint you, and then I'm going to send you one way or the other, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to go down to the furthest person that's open and have them pray for you. Um, so don't, like, go through the line and get prayer from everyone. Like, just go first person, go all the way down, next person, and just fill up. And then once it's filled up, if there's more people, just, again, go down and stand in line and wait, get prayed over. Um, once you're done, once they've prayed for you, you're welcome to leave or if you want, and if you feel led, just go back to your seat, keep seeking him. And if you want more prayer, maybe you want to go to someone else at that point, get prayer from whoever. Okay. Does that make sense? Hopefully that makes sense. All right. So I'm just going to pray now and ask the Lord to come and, uh, bless us tonight. Oh, Jesus, we just thank you for your presence in this place. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you've already been here stirring us during worship. <sighs> Breathing on the word that was preached tonight. God. Making your word come alive in our hearts. <laughs> and God, I just pray as we close tonight. That you would mark us, God. That you would brand us with a vision of the consuming fire of your jealous passionate love I ask Holy Spirit that you would come right now and move among these people that you would baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire baptize them in the Holy Spirit and fire God. fill us God I pray that you would baptize our whole church in the Holy Spirit and fire that you would set us apart and set us on fire for your glory God And I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come. We consecrate your, ourselves to you. We so, set ourselves apart to you. We give you our lives. And if you want to receive from God tonight, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me this consecration prayer. And just say, say this. Say, Jesus, I give you myself. I consecrate my life to you. I lay it all down. It's all yours. Use me for your glory. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I surrender all. Do what you want to do. Do whatever it takes. Fill me with your spirit. And help me be faithful to what you pour out in me. 
In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.